I wanted to tell you real briefly, next week we start a brand new series, and it's called Wisdom, Stop Learning the Hard Way. Isn't that great? And we're going to be going into the wisdom books in the Old Testament. I love these. The ones we're going to look at are Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Job, and that will take us right up to the Advent season before Christmas. So stay tuned for that. I, I love the wisdom literature, and hopefully you will be drawn into reading it. For yourself. So, uh, when you came in today, did you feel a little bit of chill in the air? So much unlike last week. It feels like falls in the air. So, let me just uh, set the mood for us. There we go. Can you feel the warmth in the front row? We set it so you should be able to. I'm teasing. Um, some of you, I know, love the springtime. My wife loves the springtime because summer's right around the corner. A lot of you love the summertime. You're saying goodbye to that. Um, some of you like the winter. There's something wrong with all of us, and um, I happen to love all the seasons, but I love fall. I love the fall time. Let me, let me count the ways, all right? The Browns start today, 1 o'clock p.m., and what I'd like to do, thank you, what I'd like to do is, let's just all bow our heads and pray for them. Oh, God. And uh, the Buckeyes won yesterday. That's fun to watch the Buckeyes go, I.O., thank you. You know, it's funny. I wore my Ohio State stuff when we were visiting our son out in Boston, and we went to uh, Martha's Vineyard Island. I'm out there in the middle of nowhere, and I'm hearing O.H. everywhere. The Buckeyes are everywhere. It's awesome. Um, the magnificent colors, you know, and the uh, pumpkin spice latte Starbucks has out. And Anyway... Um, but a lot of you love the campfire, too. You'll have campfires going. And when we were raising our kids, we took them camping everywhere. We had so many great camping experiences. Ask them if they thought they were great camping experiences. I thought they were. But we'd sit around the campfire and just, you know, you just sort of stare into the fire, right? And then you tell stories. And we tell fun stories. We tell scary stories. And I bet a lot of you have stories you can tell from being around a campfire. Well, the message today, the last message in the Gospel of John, features Peter. And we're going to be looking at two campfire stories from Peter. The first campfire story is not good. The second campfire story is really, really good. So what we want to do is get into the Gospel of John and go back to chapter 18. Now, that's a drama-filled chapter. That's where Jesus is arrested. That's where he starts to go through the different trials, uh, six different trials. And it's also where Peter has a breakdown, essentially. It was a late, chilly Thursday evening, uh, just hours before Jesus would go to the cross on Friday. And the, the buzz was in the air of what had happened. Jesus was arrested and bound by the Roman and Jewish authorities. And Peter had been with him. He was a companion of Jesus. He was a close friend of Jesus. You know, spent three years with Jesus. Said he would die for Jesus. He was supposed to be the tough guy, you know, and he was. He was a, an impetuous guy. Kind of flew off the handle at times. Even when Jesus was arrested, do you remember? He, he sliced off the ear of one of the guys who came to, uh, in the party that arrested him. Wow, how about that? But... But somehow, this, this manly bravado of Peter breaks down. And uh, he enters into the, into the high priest's court, and this woman sees him. 
And maybe you know this story. This is how it goes. The woman asked Peter, you're not one of that man's disciples, are you? And we don't know if Peter replied haltingly or if he snapped back at her, but this is what he said. No, he said, I am not. What happened? What happened to this bravado Peter? Probably what would happen to any one of us. He went, it seems, into self-protection mode. Like maybe what happened to Jesus could happen to me. Immediately after this, this is what John writes, because it was cold, the household servants and the guards had made a charcoal fire. There's our first campfire. They stood around it, warming themselves, and Peter stood with them, warming himself. There he is, looking into the fire, I imagine, staring into the fire, trying to make sense of all that's just happened. Jesus was arrested. He just got denying Jesus, saying he didn't know Jesus for the first time. And maybe out of the corner of his eye, as he's looking around the who's around the fire, will somebody recognize me here? And then out of the blue, somebody says, you're not one of his disciples, are you? And Peter says, no, I am not. That's the second time. Wouldn't you know it, around the fire is this, is this guy who's a relative of the, of the one whose ear Peter sliced off. So he's got an axe to grind, and he says, didn't I see you out there in the olive grove with Jesus? Again, Peter denied it, and immediately a rooster crowed. Now you, you can imagine what happened in Peter's mind as it raced back. Now you've got to go back to chapter 13 in the Gospel of John to remember this. But Peter's mind would have gone back to when Jesus said to him, Peter, after Peter said, I, I will give my life for you. Jesus says, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. You can only imagine how Peter's soul was crushed by the guilt and the shame of it all. I mean, he was supposed to be Jesus's right-hand man, the leader of the future church, one of his closest friends. He was on the inner circle with James and John. And yet something happened here where he went back on his promise. He went back on his vow. He went back on his pledge and instead now reveals duplicity and weakness and a lack of integrity. That's the first campfire scene. We'll get, to, we'll get to chapter 21 in a moment. Can we just stop for, for a second and, and just be honest with each other? And I'll start. When I, when I, when I read this story, it, it hits a little bit close to home to me, maybe to you. I became a Christian many, many years ago. Well, one of one of the first verses I ever learned and memorized was from Luke chapter 9, verse 23. Jesus says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. Deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. And yet many times in my life as a Christian, I find myself thinking, did I do that again? I won't do that again, and I do it again. I won't do that again, and I do it again. 
It's, it's almost as, as if I'm denying Jesus. Another way of saying denying Jesus is turn my back on Jesus. Do my own thing. Stiff arm Jesus. I don't care. I'll take my own path. Thank you very much. Have you ever found yourself doing that? I'll give you another illustration from my own life. You know, Jesus says, I think it's in Matthew chapter 18, if you ever have a problem with somebody, go to them directly. Paul says something similar in, in Ephesians chapter 4. Speak the truth in love to somebody. But there have been times in my life where someone has hurt me and caused me harm, and instead of going to that person, you know what I've done? I've gone to somebody else and told them. Shame on me. In a sense, that's denying Jesus. I've, I've stiff-armed Jesus. Your way is not the right way. I'll do it my way. Another example, for years. I'm kind of letting my laundry out here. For, for years, for years, I, I taught at a seminary a, a course on what's called evangelism. That's communicating the good news of Christ to people. And I loved teaching that course. And, and for years, I was pretty good at sharing my faith. I still am. But there have been times not so long ago where somebody puts me in the position where I need to talk openly about my faith or say, say a good word about Jesus, and I fail to because I'm kind of concerned about what they might think of me. And I don't want to look stupid or I'm fearful or for one reason or another. In a sense, I find myself, I don't know, denying Jesus. I could probably... I know I could go on with other examples. Let me just stop there. When those things happen to me, in a sense, in a very real sense, I hear the rooster crow. <laughs> and like Peter, I feel the crush of guilt and shame because I did not come through. I denied Jesus. Now let's stop talking about me. Let's talk about you. <laughs> in fact, can we just start down here and just go row by row and just... Each person stand up and share the one thing you struggle with the most, okay? Um, I'm joking, of course. I mean, there's different ways we can deny Jesus. Let me put a few th ways up on the screen. I deny Jesus when I'm selfish. How about you? I know I can be selfish. I mean, here you are in church, good for you. And maybe you read the Bible, but I want to ask you, do you do those things just to get something from God or because you want God himself? And the people closest to you, your family members, your, 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 the people you work with, would they, would they say they are crushed under the weight of your selfishness? In a sense, when you live selfishly for yourself, you're not denying yourself, you're denying Jesus. I, another example, I care too much about what others think of me. My wife and I are finishing a... Uh, a documentary movie type of thing on Netflix called Dope Sick. It's so fascinating. It's about the Oxycontin, you know, terrible thing that happened a couple decades ago. And there are different addictions. And maybe you struggle with one addiction or another. But I'll give you an addiction you may not think about. And I, I struggle with it at times. I alluded to it earlier. And that is the addiction to being approved by others. Is that you? I mean, maybe in school or at work or... In your family, you have an opportunity to stand up and say, no, I stand for Christ. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I follow Jesus. <laughs> but you don't. And like Peter around the fire, I don't know. That's denying Jesus. Uh, another one. I, I am constantly worried about everything. 
I mean, this is the most popular command in all of the Bible. Do not fear. Do not fear. Do not fear. Do not be anxious. Do not get worried. And yet we do. And what ends up happening, rather than trusting God and stepping into the unknown and the unfamiliar, we fall back and just slip into neutral. In a sense, that's denying the power of Jesus to walk us into the unfamiliar. Another example of denying Jesus. I gave up on him years ago. And maybe it was some time ago, or maybe it was recent. In in thought, word, or deed, you took a different path. I'm taking a different path. Rather than taking the path of wisdom, which we'll talk about next week, I take the path of folly. I know it now. But even if I wanted to come back to Jesus, would he even take me back? Would God even want me? Has that ship already sailed? Have I lost that opportunity? Would God even want to hear from me now? Now that I've done all these things. But wouldn't it be awesome? Wouldn't it be amazing if just the opposite were true? Wouldn't it be something? Wouldn't it be amazingly good news if the opposite were true? That if I turn my back to Jesus, he turns toward me. That, my friends, is why we call it the gospel, which means good news. Let me give you a bottom line, a big idea. Though we deny Jesus, Jesus will always pursue us. We're going to keep coming back to that. I mean, what? I don't know if you've made it here every week for 21 weeks studying the gospel of John, but even if you were here for part of the time, what did you learn? What did you learn from the Gospel of John? I hope it is this, that Jesus is the, is, the, is, is the perfect representation of God. He is God himself. And what do we see in Jesus? A love and a grace that pursues us and does not give up on us, that runs after us, who, who loves us no matter what, who loves us right where we are, not where we're supposed to be. That is the gospel. So, that was chapter 18. Let's get back to the story of Peter. We need to get to chapter 21. I told you there were two campfires. The first campfire, not a great experience. No, I don't know him. I don't know him. Let's get to chapter 21, where it is a really great thing that happens to Peter. So after his denial, Peter Peter goes back to what he knows best, all right? This is how it goes. Chapter 21, verse 1. Later, Jesus appeared again to the disciples beside the Sea of Galilee. This is how it happened. Several of the disciples were there. Simon Peter, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, who are called the sons of thunder. That's James and John, John the ones who are writing the gospel, and two other unnamed disciples. And then it says, Simon Peter said, I'm going fishing. And I read that and I think, so what? He's going fishing. He's going fishing. He's going fishing with his buddies. I mean, after all, this is what he did for a living. This was his livelihood. So what? He's going fishing. On first read, I think, no big deal. But many people think that there's something more profound, deeper going on here than just going fishing. Like it's Peter saying, this is what I know best. 
fishing. This is what I'm familiar with. This is what I'm good at. I'll tell you what I'm not good at. I'm not good at following Jesus. I'm not good at representing Jesus. I'm not good at standing by the side of Jesus. And how can I ever be a leader like he said I would be one day? How can I ever be a leader if I, if I cave and crumble under the pressure? And I don't think it's uncommon. And maybe the, one of the reasons it's in the text like this, I don't think it's uncommon for any of us. It's not too unfamiliar for any of us that when we cave and crumble to fall back to what we know best, Rather than move, move forward in our faith, we fall backward, which is simply a way to deal with the guilt and the shame that we have from not following Jesus as we would have wanted. So here's a good question for, it, for us all. What old habits and patterns do you go back to, even though you know they move you further away from Jesus? Huh? I mean, everything so far between Jesus and Peter is unresolved. So as Peter and the others are going fishing, they're not having much luck at all. I went fishing last week with my son. Don't ever go fishing with me. You won't have luck. Here, Peter is not having luck at all. But that's about to change. Watch what happens. At dawn, Jesus was standing on the beach, but the disciples couldn't see who he was. He called out, fellows, have you caught any fish? No, they replied. Then he said, Throw out your net on the right-hand side of the boat, and you'll get some. So they did, and they couldn't haul it in the net because there were so many fish. Do you know how many fish there were? In, in the text, it actually tells us 153 fish. Do you know what the symbolism is, 153 fish? There's 153 fish. That's it. In case, in case you were wondering if there's something deeper, there were 153 fish. But what's interesting, this is the exact same miracle Jesus uh, does when he first calls Peter. And then the story goes on. Then the disciple Jesus loved, then the disciple Jesus loved, who is John referred to himself, said to Peter, it's the Lord. When P Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his tunic, for he had stripped for work, jumped into the water, and headed to shore. The others stayed with the boat and pulled the loaded net to the shore, for they were about only 100 yards from shore. I love this story. Um, so we just read a few moments ago that, that Jesus again appeared to the disciples. It's hard to, to establish a timeline for the post-resurrection appearances of Jesus. But apparently Peter had been around or had seen Jesus before. But it's also apparent from what we're going to read in a few moments that they never really had a discussion about that denial of Jesus around the campfire which Jesus clearly knew about. And so Peter jumps in the water. He's 100 yards from shore. That's a long way to make your way into shore. And I just wonder what's going through his mind as he's making his way toward Jesus on the shore. Could it be how he heard Jesus say over and over and over, which is in the text, come to me, come to me, come to me. 
Come to me, all of you who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest for your soul. Come to me. Could it be he had in his mind the most famous parable that Jesus told, the story of the prodigal son who, who runs away from home, flitters his life away, and then comes back wondering if his father will ever accept him, and he sees his father in the distance holding his arms open like this, embracing his son. Is that what Peter has in mind? We don't know exactly. But there's, Je- there's Jesus on the shore and Peter going toward him. And, Pe- and Jesus isn't going anywhere. Let me tell you, we all mess up. We all mess up. Know this, Jesus is always on the shore hoping you will come to him. The key is we have to go to him. Here's the bottom line again. Though we deny Jesus, Jesus will always pursue us. Now Jesus just showing up. On the shore is probably enough for Peter. But God's pursuing love is always so much bigger than what we can fathom. Watch what happens. When they got there, they found breakfast waiting for them, fish cooking over a charcoal fire, and some bread. Now imagine Peter, you know, arriving just exhausted on shore, sopping wet. Maybe even thinking, Jesus has every right to lay it on me. What were you thinking denying me around that other campfire? But he doesn't do that. What does Jesus do instead? He serves him. He serves him breakfast. What? How could that be? Now let me speak to those of you who grew up thinking that God is just angry at you because you've blown it, because you've messed up, because you've sinned. Let me just speak to you and say, this message should change your life forever. That Jesus wants you to come to him and he wants to serve you. (laughs) He He doesn't want to lay it on you. He wants to serve you breakfast and build a campfire with you and have a discussion with you. And though you may have turned your back to him, he has turned toward you. And then they have a conversation. Just Peter and Jesus. And this is how it goes. After breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter replied. You know I love you. Then feed my lambs, Jesus told him. Jesus repeated the question, Simon, son of John, do you love me? (laughs) Yes, Lord, Peter said. "You, You know I love you. Then take care of my sheep, Jesus said. A third time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt that Jesus asked the question a third time. He said, Lord, you know everything. You know I love you, Jesus said. Then feed my sheep. And you can guess what Jesus was up to. Asking Peter three times about his love. He was completely undoing the three times that Peter denied him. Isn't that something? And and in serving him breakfast... And building a campfire, Jesus is expressing, extending forgiveness to Peter. <laughs> and then, several times saying, will you feed my sheep? Will you feed my lambs? Will you take... He's restoring him to, what's, to what Jesus once wanted for him, to be the leader of the church one day. Not just forgiven, but restored. Friends, this is a story for every one of us. We all mess up in one way 
or another. Yet Jesus always calls us back to himself to both forgive and to restore. This is the bottom line. Though we deny Jesus, he will always pursue us. That is our message. That's it's pure and simple. Our message here at the chapel. He, Jesus calls us to himself to forgive us over and over, but we need to go to him. We need to go to him on shore. <laughs> and then he longs to restore us. Each one of you in this room, if you are a, if you're a regular attender here, you, you have gifts and abilities and skills and education, experiences. Did I say that already? You, you, God has given you everything you need to serve his church. He said to Peter, feed my lambs, feed my sheep. What does that mean? It just means take care of my church. <coughs> Let me end with this. And I don't want this to sound like a commercial, but it seems like a very natural way to end the book of John, which was written so that you can know that you have eternal life. But that's not the end of the Christian life. We are called to serve. We are called to serve each other. We are called to be a church that's meaningful to our community. Uh, here in, 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 at the chapel, um, we have multiple ways to serve. We don't even use the term volunteer. That seems so temporary and cold. But to serve, <laughs> to serve. Are you serving in some way? Even if you've blown it, even if you've messed up, are you willing to serve? You are forgiven. God wants to restore you and use you in a significant way. Let me just give you a few ways that we, we could use help here. If you're gifted, have abilities this way, we could use help in our kids' ministry. And let me just say, this does not mean necessarily sitting with kids. We have people like my mom who did, who did this for years. She, during the week, she helped prepare the curriculum for the kids. She never sat with the kids. She just helped prepare things. But we need help that way. We need help holding babies. We need help sitting with kids. We need help. We need teachers. Could you help feed our lambs that way? We, we need help on our prayer team. Would that interest you to, to pray for the sheep in this church? To pray for our community. We, we have a prayer team. Could you help that way? We have a security team. Could you help protect our sheep here? I hate to even think that we need security, but, but every church does now. If, that, if any of those interests you, when you came in, you received a, 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 a form or a, a bulletin, and on the back is what we call a connect card, just right on there, that I have interest in working with kids or being part of the kids' ministry or prayer or the, or the security team. We'd love that. It'd be great. We are forgiven in Christ. We are restored in Christ. Let's pray. Lord, not one of us in this room is beyond your forgiveness. We have all messed up in a variety of ways, and we come before you collectively, but also individually with humility, asking your forgiveness. Know that your goodness does not end. Lord, not one of us in this room is beyond the restorative power of your Holy Spirit who lives within every true believer. We are here now with our skills and abilities and experiences you have given us. Use us to help serve others and advance your church to feed your lambs and your sheep. In Jesus' name we pray.
Amen. Let's sing about the goodness of God.